We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Focci. Miller for three. Oh, he banked it in. He banked it in. And the game is tied. We're going to overtime. Warren lets it fly. Yes. T.J. Warren is not human. Razor catches, shoots for three to win it. He hits it. To go. Brogdon for three. Let's Got go. it. O'Neal drives on Yao. Puts it in. Duarte for three. Boom, baby. Anthony attacks oh. Hibbert. Denies him at the rim. Karis LeVert. People don't realize how good he really is. LeVert. Skies high for the jam. Stevenson passes into Sabonis for the basket. Jackson turns, fires, and hits. Oh, Turner bringing that smoke. Flips it to the big fella, fake shoots, and hits. This is TJ McConnell, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. Pacer Nation, what's going on? Welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace, and we have got an exciting one for you today. Scott Agnes from the Fieldhouse Files will be joining us, but Fachi, are the boys back after getting two dominant victories over the Pelicans and the Chicago Bulls? Alex, I told you I wanted to say it bad the other episode, but I couldn't. But now that we beat the Bulls, the boys are almost back. I almost. Mean, okay. Almost. This was a great win. A 32-point win. The largest ever in Chicago for the Pacers. Everything went right. I mean, life is good once again. And look, all I'll <laughs> say is uh, the Pacers are 7-5 and five in their last 12. Yeah, that's that's pretty good, Fachi. It's, it's better than what it looked like early on in the season. So just to let you all know, we're going to recap this game a little bit more in-depth with Scott Agnes later in the show. But before that, we want to get it, we want to get to a few things here. First and foremost, ratings and reviews. I want to thank you guys once, once once again so much for doing that for us. We are just, I believe, Fachi, just about 20 away from reaching our goal for that free jersey. So if you haven't already done that, make sure you go ahead and do that. And I've been getting emails over the last couple of weeks. So once again, thank you for that. But also, Fachi, we got a brand new segment that we're going to bring onto the show. Can you tell the people what it is? So I think this is going to be really fun. So we have set up uh, for a voicemail situation. I believe it's through Google Voice where you guys can leave us a voicemail. And this could be after a a big win. I hope it's not after a frustrating loss, but it could be. (laughs) Uh, But at any time, you know, call call the number that we're providing and just just feel free to, you know, express your thoughts. We want to be as close as possible with our listeners, whether it's the mailbag, whether it's voicemails, any method possible, we want to hear from you. Yeah, we did this about two years ago, but I think we just kind of died off from doing it because we had a hard time. I'll be honest with you. Just staying put with any segment ideas that we had. We do it for a little bit and then just kind of get bored with it. But with that being said, we're going to try to do this at least once a week. Not sure what day, but today we're going to debut it on Tuesday. So maybe we'll just stick with Tuesday. But if it's a big win on a Thursday or a Friday and we do a pod that week, we'll, uh, we'll make sure to play it. But the phone number that you should call to leave a voicemail I'm going to say it very slowly so you can take notes if you're listening, is 317-886-8437. Once again, that's 317-886-8437. There's a graphic on all platforms of social media, and that way you guys can check that out. But we already had three voicemails left today, 
as we debuted this Sofachi. Let's get into those voicemails before we get to our conversation with Scott Agnes. All right, Fachi. So we had three voicemails come in today, and I think we should start off here first with our friend Aaron at Hugh Pacers and his voicemail. Hey, this is Aaron uh, or at Hugh Pacers. Um, just wanted to thank you guys for all the content you create and the consistency with the podcast. Um, I guess my question for this week would be, what is your guys' origin story? You know, how did you guys meet? What made you start the podcast? Thank you for all you guys do, and have a good day. I've explained it quite a bit before on other podcasts, but I'd like to hear your description of how we met, Fudge. Yeah, the, the way I remember it was, you know, growing up in New York, I mean, I never even knew another Pacer fan, period. Couldn't interact with them. Before social media, I mean, it, it almost felt like I was just alone. You get on Twitter, all of a sudden you start to get a little bit, you know, you see that there's other people that are just like you. And I've always wanted a podcast before. I don't know how I came across Alex. He must have tweeted, maybe I threw him a follow or something. But I remember one day he was like, anyone want to record a Pacer podcast? And I was like, this is it. I'm just going for it. I can't talk Pacer basketball with anyone else. So why not? We, we did. We did one of your old shows. And I guess I guess I was somewhat decent enough where you were like, hey, um, you know, if, if you ever want to do this again, be more than happy to, to you know, do another episode. And I remember, you know, I, w- I would write a couple articles. You and I started you know, started a website that, that we were doing for a while, the five by five. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, Good we, days we've, there. Had, we've had a couple different podcasts that we experimented with a few years back that just didn't really uh, didn't really click or didn't you know, we didn't keep doing. And then eventually uh me you and uh tyler smith we, we came up with setting the pace and uh here we are maybe close to four years later or so yeah so i will say fachi is the one that came up with the name setting the pace we, we had thrown out some different ideas but that was the one that stuck so fachi has the i guess the the copyright to the name of the show <laughs> so if we ever break up fachi will get that um, but with that being said um it was really funny because i think it was not too long ago you sent me a message of how oh, we yeah. first interacted and I was kind of like sitting on a high horse because I was doing some work for the Grueling Truth, which they're still around, but I don't know how popular they are, but they're more like football, boxing, that kind of thing. I was a lead NBA guy over there, and I was doing a podcast called Let's Talk NBA, and then I started one called Let's Talk Pacers. It was just kind of blah. I didn't really know what I was doing. I was still learning, getting my feet wet. And Fachi reached out about coming on and wanting to be a guest or whatever, and I was like, all right, we'll see how you do, and we'll go from there. I was just kind of like, yeah, well, this is a tryout for Fachi. Uh, if you don't bring it, then I'm just going to move on and find somebody yeah, else. Yeah, you try to big-time me, you know? I, well, to be fair, I didn't really know. Yeah, that's fair enough. And it was my show at, this, at the time. So, anyway, I thought it was interesting. And so, me and Fachi, we did work a little bit with the 5x5. Five five. Uh, Mark Wallen, Rob Sony, and I forget who our fifth person was, but – um, I think it was Andrew or something. I, I can't his remember. His name was Zach. I can't remember Zach, his last name. Zach Milner, I think is who it was. I think right? that's probably right. So anyway, nobody cares. But uh, he's. <laughs> I think Zach's actually done some good work and is actually working for like Bleach Report or something like that now. So he's bigger big time than Rob and Mark. I don't know what they're up to now because that relationship ended as we moved forward and did our own thing. But with that being said, Fachi and I are like, yeah, you know, we still want to talk about the Pacers, but not sure. And I was like, I just don't know how like credible people are going to think we are. So I reached out to Tyler Smith. And uh, Tyler had been writing for Indie Sports Legends for quite a while there. And um, I'm doing some work there right now for, for Tyler. So pretty cool. And, and Tyler came on with us. And then his schedule got so busy that we weren't able to, like, record very often all together. So we just decided, hey, it might be best to use you kind of more sporadically. And then as that went on, we just kind of did our own thing. And Tyler kind of got busy coaching girls basketball and that kind of thing. So didn't I have, like, a bad breakup? It was just like, a, hey, you know, we're just – both in different time frames right now of our lives. So be easier for me and Fachi because we're more in alignment with our lives in terms of what we were going through and what Tyler was doing. He was just so busy. Uh, but uh love Tyler, like having him on the show when we can. And, you know, it was really fun with Tyler. No, uh, no, no offense to Tyler or anything like that. Like we loved having him on. So Fachi and I just ran with it and it's been fun, but fun fact, I'm sure you guys have heard this said before, but never met Fachi in person. Uh, just, never. Uh, we're uh, what? Like, <laughs> 320 plus episodes deep and then whatever episodes we did on other shows and all that i mean can't even imagine the amount of hours that have been logged but yeah guys never met in person before yeah and we've uh pretty much text every day i would say close to it yep yep. so it's kind of funny we've we've become friends but 
we still have never met. So that day will eventually happen. I'm just, oh yeah, uh, I just can't wait. I hope I lose some weight by then so we can get a good picture. But <laughs> uh, anyway, let's uh, let's move on to our to our next voicemail here. And this voicemail is going to come from our good and faithful listener, the one and only Brent. We're going to listen to his voicemail right now. Hey, Alex and Fachi, this is Brent Gentry, big, big Pacers fan and fan of Setting the Pace podcast. I have a question for you both. If you could have dinner with three Pacers players, who would they be and where would you take them? I'll go ahead and go. I would have dinner with TJ McConnell because he is supposed to be a wine guy, a wine aficionado, Miles Turner, because I think Miles is cool and I think he would be a good time and entertaining um, and interesting to talk to at dinner, and also Chris Duarte. Um, I love Chris Duarte. Um, I have a lot of respect um, about his story and where he comes from, and I think he would be a fascinating um, person um, to share a meal with. And where would I take these three Pacers? I would take them to my favorite restaurant in Indianapolis, and in my opinion, the very, very best restaurant in Indianapolis, which is Beholder on East 10th Street. Can't wait to hear your answers, guys. Thanks so much. Okay, Fachi. So three Pacers that you would take out to dinner, why you chose those three, and where are you taking them? Ah, uh, Easy. So one, I'm, I'm going to go by almost like the decades. I'm going with Reggie first, all right? Well, that- he only referred to current Pacers, so I think we should oh. stick with the current roster. Oh, okay, all right. Well, then that changes things, so never mind. All right. So, um, hmm, I would go with uh, – I'd, I'd probably have to – I'd have to have Brogdon in there. I mean, I, I would – I'd have to go Brogdon, Sabonis, and then I'll, I want to say Duarte just because it's like, you know, he's the rookie. I feel like he's going to be here for a long time. So, I guess I'd probably have to go Brogdon, Duarte, and Sabonis. Okay, where are you taking them? I'm taking them to Del Frisco Steakhouse. I'm not sure if they're everywhere, but it's one of the nicest steakhouses that you can go to. I was fortunate to have my friends take me there once. Uh, it was in New York City, and it was unbelievable. Okay, so for me, I'm going to be a little bit different here. I'm going to take out Karis LeVert. I'm going to take out DeMontis Sabonis because I want to see what he's like. Uh, behind the professional wall. I have no idea what he's like, so I think there's a little bit of a mystery box there. And then on top of that, I think Duarte is a popular answer because that's who that's who Brent said, that's who you said. TJ McConnell is probably a popular answer, so is Miles Turner. I'm actually going to take Goga. I feel like Goga wow. would be okay. a lot of fun. So we're going to go out. Those three, are, we're all going to hang out, and we're going to go to Ale Emporium, which is just an incredible uh, uh, pub here in Indianapolis, and they've got terrific wings Really good bread, six two. So just like a lot of good food here, and we're gonna go during the Super Bowl just to see what they think, or maybe the NCAA Final Four with all four of their teams representing. I guess Goga wouldn't have a team, but uh, Domas and Karis would with Michigan and Gonzaga. So that would be my goal, just to kind of see them talk about basketball and just hang out with them and get to know them better. So that is my answer to that question. So thank you, Brent, for that question, and Aaron, thank you again for your first question. But let's move on to our final voicemail. This comes from Andrew, and he's going to talk a little bit about Duarte and Karis LeVert and their roles. Hey there, setting the pace. My name is Andrew. I'm a listener and Pacers fan out of Dallas, Texas. Uh, something I wanted to share, just an observation uh, about the team, is is in the last two games, this, this lineup change that Rick has made where he's starting Holiday and Duarte has gone and is now getting reps with the bench unit. And I think that's a really interesting switch because, you know, we saw Duarte as that fifth kind of option in the starting five, and, and, and maybe that's not the most ideal role for a rookie who you're trying to get lots of touches and who is a, is a pure scorer. And so him getting the chance to maybe be the first or second option as a bench guy coming in and, and kind of demand the ball a little more, I think that will be really good for him and statistically, but also just some more scoring out of that bench unit with Duarte coming off the bench. And, and you know, Holiday's a vet, a seasoned guy who, who really slots into that, that fifth guy, that fifth option in the starting five. I think he's, he fits that really well. And, you know, we've seen that work for them the last two games, among other things, but they dominated Chicago last night. I love to see that. And, yeah, I don't know. Just wanted to share that thought. You guys are, you guys are awesome. Seriously, I, I listen to you guys every time you put out a new podcast. Keep doing what you're doing. 
Okay, so really just more so Duarte there than anything. So do you like that Duarte is off the bench, or do you wish he was still starting Fudge? I mean, I, I like the idea of Duarte being a starter, but that will come. That will come. For now, I feel like Justin Holiday has chemistry with this offense. I mean, he, he doesn't need the ball in his hands. He could just kind of, you know, get open for a three and shoot it. We've seen him shooting a lot of threes. Duarte was the guy that I feel like was being a bit overshadowed in that starting unit. Once Lavert came back, once Brogdon was healthy. So I do think that he can be a real solid six man. And we're seeing him as the six man, not just going to the bench and then kind of having his role significantly reduced. I mean, I know it was a little bit different, but he did get 11 shots up uh, against Chicago. So I I think once that shoulder heals up, I think he can be a really good scorer off the bench. And we know that unit needs it. Yeah, I think you hit it there on the uh, the nail on the head there with that comment, talking about his shoulder, because been rubbing it still. It doesn't look good, so it's a little bit worrisome for me. I'm going to ask Scott Agnes about it a little bit uh, later in our in our segment with Scott. But, yeah, I, I really just feel like with Duarte, he could be a little bit overshadowed, like Foch said, and this would give some more of an opportunity to lead that unit. And, and they could clearly use somebody to lead that unit scoring-wise. I don't think Justin Holiday is that type of player. He's more of a catch-and-shoot guy, and he benefits from other people. Really good team defender as well where I think Duarte can be a guy who can give him the ball and put the ball in his hands. But, you know, great point, Fachi. Again, last night was the second leading shot attempt player for the Pacers. So 11 attempts, did not shoot the ball effectively or efficiently. But hopefully once that shoulder starts to heal up or he gets more accustomed to the little bit of soreness that he has, he's able to fight through it. But that's what I think. I agree with you there. I do think that it's an, an opportunity for Duarte to have a bigger role within the offense without sacrificing a ton of minutes. So, Fachi, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll bring on the one and only Scott Agnes from the Fieldhouse Files. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, everybody, joining us now, he's no stranger to the show. It's Scott Agnes from the Fieldhouse Files, and we are super excited to have him on. Scott, thanks so much for joining us once again. How you been? Been good. Good to be on with you guys once again. Just kind of revving up for this home schedule, which I've been eagerly awaiting after this team's been away for such a big chunk of this first part of the month. Yeah, absolutely. And I know you've been traveling a little bit with the team, so that's cool to see as well. Uh, Get some in-arena experience back on the road, too, which is cool. So let's talk about this game against the Bulls. Pacers dominate from start to finish in every facet of the game. Talk uh, Talk me through a little bit of what you saw last night from this Pacers team. Yeah, I thought it was telling how not only they started, came right out, Justin hit the first shot of the game after they won the tip. Then they they scored their next several possessions and within three minutes had taken a double-digit lead. And going into this, into this one um, in the first month of the season, we've seen where both the Pacers and Bulls have generally started games pretty well. This difference obviously has been kind of that second half 
for the Pacers. So I like how strongly they came out. They stayed with that uh, kind of what we can call the original starting lineup, I think, for right now. And it was effective. And then yet again, for the second straight game, basically all the key players did not have to play for the final 12 minutes. Love that. I feel like that's been, you know, kind of a, I hope to be the little underrated thing that the starters have not been playing the fourth quarter, whether it's for good or bad. Um, but it looked like the Pacers seemed a bit more energetic. They were moving a bit faster in Chicago coming off the back to back. I thought they seemed a little bit gassed. Was that just uh, me or did you notice that as well? Yeah, this is this is one of those scheduled losses. If you're the Bulls, you have mm-hmm. a, a tough matchup against the Knicks. They were behind during the fourth quarter, so not only did they have to take a to make that comeback, but then they held on for the win. And all while this is going on, the Pacers are chilling, probably eating dinner and chilling in their Four Seasons hotel bed. So that that's a huge advantage for any team. Um, and then on top of that, of course, the Bulls have injuries. They don't have a strong front line right now with with Vucevic being out. And on top of that, Alex Caruso has been really strong defensively. He was not out there to be a pest. And Lonzo looked awful. Never had it. Missed every shot. 0 for 7. And meanwhile, um, the, the Pacers just carried on from what they had done over the previous weekend. And that was kind of get back to who they were, playing team ball, get back to f- having the ball flow once again. And Carlisle is now sitting more than we've usually seen. And, and I think that's a good sign that he's been able to call less plays, um, which is in contrast to what he was doing on that big road trip where we saw him shouting out and, and calling out plays. And he even admitted before the last game that he hates calling plays. Well, what I want to get into him is, so why exactly were you getting into that? More than a couple of games, because there was some strategy in it for especially that Sacramento game where they're trying to slow down the tempo against a team that had scored 100 and 40 points the night before. But now it feels like, as I've written, the, the reins are a little bit looser, and they've remembered, hey, if we play it through Sabonis, good things generally happen. And so, I mean, if not for sitting out the fourth quarter, essentially, Sabonis would have probably have triple doubles in each of the last two games. Can we talk a little bit about your question to Carlisle after the Pelicans game, asking about Sabonis? It, it seemed like it kind of deflected what you were asking in terms of playing through him more. I'm just curious if you have the exact quote of what he said back to your question and kind of how you think maybe he views Domas this season. Yeah, I can pull it up real fast, but I was surprised because he basically was a non-answer when it comes down to it. He goes, he was open, so we're giving him the ball. We want to move it. We want to create a good situation for ourselves. We just got to get it moving better. Okay, that wasn't the question here. Like, of course you need to move it better. Uh, I think we all could uh, analyze it that way and see that assists have been down, turnovers have been high, and they haven't been productive. The The real thing, and this is the, the, the challenge, especially for us right now in the Zoom era and not having practice time, that's, again, why I wanted practice today, to clarify a number of things that have gone on with the team that really aren't conducive to Zooms when you're limited on time and limited questions and things like that. And and it's really, generally speaking, I also, the trouble with Zoom is it's a lot more um, performance-based kind of, if that makes sense. It feels like the, the person you're interviewing has to, I don't know, entertain or perform for the camera. Whereas that's not the case at practice. I have a recorder, but we're basically having a conversation. So that's the type of thing that hopefully one of these days, probably this next time will maybe be on Saturday this weekend that I'll be able to talk with Rick and, and Miles and Domas and get some clarity on, on on the situation and things like that and why it went down and how it went down because the players were a little bit more open about it. And you can always tell uh, when Domas knows he shouldn't go a place and almost does, right? So during when I asked him about that, he, he was saying, yeah, you know, Coach, um... So coach had us playing that way. And then, you know, and so I thought that was pretty telling that then they kind of reverted back to the way in which they all wanted to play and and be more free flowing and call less plays. And that's been a benefit. But as I I, I want to emphasize the last two games, the circumstances have been favorable to them. New Orleans is terrible. The Bulls not at full strength back to back. So you want to be cautiously optimistic about the way in which the Pacers have played the last two games. Exactly. Look, I love saying that the boys are back, but I have to be cautiously optimistic. I don't know if we are back because of the schedule, how it's been lately, but they are trending in the right direction. One player who I really hope continues to trend in that direction, Karis LeVert. LeVert got off to a hot start last night, five of five in the first quarter after having some rather sluggish first quarters lately. How nice was it to see LeVert kind of, you know, get it going early? 
Yeah, that was a good glimpse. He scored what ten of the first twelve his ten of his twelve points in that first quarter, mm-hmm. and was really instrumental in that first period where the, he almost outscored the Bulls by himself. But with that said, I mean you can just see from the eye test, Karras is not completely comfortable. His, his analytics back that up has not looked really that sharp, and so. He, he, along with Chris Duarte, are two guys of concern that I'm closely watching here t- starting with the next game and for the next couple of weeks at least because I want to see them more comfortable. I want to see them ease up a little bit because they're both definitely favoring an injury. Yeah, and I mean, we saw Duarte just rubbing that shoulder throughout the game last night. It's something that mm-hmm. I think we definitely got to keep an eye on because that kept him out a few games. He came back against the Hornets, and his shot has not looked the same since he came back with that injury. So just touching on Duarte a little bit, have you noticed a difference in him playing off the bench compared to being with that starting group? Do you like that change? And, you know, Justin looked pretty good the last couple of games with that starting group. Yeah, there's a lot of dynamics that go to, go into it. But right now, I don't know why you would make the change back while he's clearly – not even probably 90%. So right now you have to maximize the health of your roster in this group. And also, I've never been one to put too much stock into who starts. Again, it's who finishes the game that actually matters. I know both for you know the stats and you can say, hey, he started every game as a rookie or, or whatever. For those purposes and, and bragging rights, yes, it is nice. But with Duarte, I mean, look at his numbers generally. Three for 11, four for 10, five for 14, two of nine. He just has not been sharp for a couple weeks now, really since the first of the month when he, I think he went up for a dunk against the Spurs at home, went out, uh, returned, but just hasn't looked the same. And yes, he did miss some time, but it also makes you wonder, maybe he needs a couple more weeks that would help him in the long term. Because right now, I would I would guess he's at the point now where he probably can't do more damage, but he, he's playing, he's trying to tough it out. He's trying to play through it. And I'm not sure it wouldn't be best for him in the long term to take it easier right now because he hasn't been sharp and therefore has not been really worthy of playing those starter minutes. Yeah, it's going to be a long season, a longer season than Duarte has ever experienced, you know, especially being a rookie. But, um, you know, so I really do think at some point they may need to, you know, maybe give him a game off, whatever it is, find a couple days where he can, you know, nurse that shoulder a bit. But uh, against Chicago, I mean, DeMar DeRozan, Zach Levine, they had been you know, truly one of the best dynamic duos in the league this year. The Pacers roll out a zone approach in the game, and it was very effective. They hold Chicago to 36.5% shooting from the game, and they hold DeRozan and Levine below 20 What were your thoughts on seeing the zone, and how brilliant was it by Carlisle? Yeah, I liked it. It was a nice change of pace and, and mixed it up, and it, it did show some success, right? But again, I, I think the numbers are are lower because, look, they played 27 minutes. If they played 34, we might be talking about them in a close game finishing with 28-30. I felt like those were the only two guys, actually, that had anything going for that roster. And outside of that, I mean, it, it, it all comes down to they just didn't have it. We've seen the Pacers have a couple of those games this year where you're just baffled. Well, that was it for the Bulls so far, be, being on the second night of a back-to-back. But the zone did, did work effectively. I think we've seen it be somewhat positive for this when it when it's thrown out in spurts. Rick Carlisle doesn't like to go to it a ton. Um, it actually requires more work in his mind and more communication and and more accountability with the team. And they and there was something that even last year uh, they did bring out under Nate Bjorkren. But the the interesting thing about that was they really didn't practice it among many things. And so it was something he might mention or install during a timeout. And players kind of laughed about that. And then. Uh, you know, understood that's kind of why they got burned or it didn't work out favorably because of uh, the lack of you know practice time or effort put into it. But uh, I don't I don't make too much of the zone, but it was I did think it was effective by the but by the point I think they went to it, game was pretty much well in hand, and that that was a good good point for the Pacers who are kind of right about five hundred and they're just coming off that that rough patch of their schedule with twelve of the first nineteen at home, eight of nine to be about five hundred. They're just short of that. But I think that that's about what they could have shot for at the beginning of the season, going on their third coaching staff in three years. We've seen a handful of different rotations and guys in and out of the rotation. It's It seems like it's kind of come to the, the top 10 guys, at least at this point in the season now. We know who's going to be playing on a regular basis. But what have been your thoughts overall on just the different rotations and guys maybe playing more minutes than 
And then, you know, like Brissett not starting the first two games in the rotation, having a breakout game against Miami, and now he seems to be back, you know, on the bottom, you know, with the third stringers almost. Can you kind of just talk about how some of these guys have been in and out of the rotation and what your thoughts have been on that? Yeah, Alex, I feel like Rick's kind of settled into what he thinks his rotation is right now. And I, I see it more as a nine-man group mm-hmm. with Jeremy Lamb, with Brad, with O'Shea, and, and even Goga as kind of on a, on a need basis. We know Duarte is kind of that six-man coming off. TJ provides the energy. Torrey's the defense, some shooting, some playmaking. And then I think I really think Keelan's in there because of his shot-making uh, over O'Shea. And that's probably been the biggest surprise to me. I, was, I, I, I believe that O'Shea was more productive, more um, influential on both ends of the floor of, of Keelan, who's less turnover-adverse and, and things like that. But still... Um, I think what we've seen with this group so far, they've kind of settled in and and made of it what they want. I'd be curious, though. I've been shocked as well as how Jeremy Lamb's fallen so far out of the rotation. For a guy that went from six-man a couple years ago, had that injury, and I thought he would probably start this year and then and then kind of ease into a, a roll off the bench as Duarte would obviously need to start. That hasn't been the case, um, and that surprised me as well. You know, while we're on the subject of Jeremy Lamb, that, that's something that I wanted to bring up. I knew you're coming on. I mean, we have seen his minutes drastically cut to the point where, yeah. you know, he's he's receiving some did not play coach decisions. So is Lamb now that kind of guy that you envision maybe it would be a bit of a surprise if he's with the team past the trade deadline, given his expiring deal? I mean, it all comes down to the other side. Uh, if he can't crack the Pacers rotation, who else is seeking him, right? Maybe they can they can see they want to free up some money on the other side. Um, but if you're the Pacers, also, why would that intrigue you unless you get something back? Because uh, they would like some money to come off their books. They're kind of cash-strapped and up against it on the salary cap uh, this year. They got a little bit of relief trading Edmund to the Brooklyn Nets, and then they, they were able to waive him. But I see Lamb is right now a guy that's fallen out of Carlisle's rotation, and it's been stunning to see the team's most veteran guy out there, um, you know, get the wave with six minutes to play. Like, all right, now's your time. Uh, <laughs> he he's been productive. He hasn't seen as much time. Uh, I mean, I'm looking at his his game log over the last month: nine minutes, nine minutes, sixteen, ten, eight. I thought that'd certainly be more around the twenty range, and. As they get into the season, perhaps that's something they'll have to need to look at is getting him additional minutes, especially if he has more of those nights like he had in Charlotte where the team just didn't have it, but he did and was comfortable and confident in his shooting and finished with a season-high 23. Yeah, he did look good in that second half when given the opportunity to play. I don't know if it was more so because Charlotte was taking their foot off the gas, but it was interesting to see the team pull within three points with a chance to tie it. I uh, wish they would have got the ball in Lamb's hands there at the end of the game because I feel like uh, he just always makes the toughest shots, uh, <laughs> and it's so funny to watch him do it. But the fact that they were even in that was oh, a shock, though, right? Like, that was an I couldn't believe embarrassing performance, Ugh. and then that's why you look for something to change the game. And so Rick went to the reserves and said, "Have at it," and they did. Yeah, I thought Goga looked good in that game too. Of course, of course, Brad Wanamaker didn't look too bad either. But I just got to ask you, I just got to get your opinions on. This team's identity, because you talked about it. You said in Sacramento, like they slowed the game down. And now you said Rick's sitting down more and they're wanting to play at a faster pace. It's like, I'm not really sure what this team's identity is. I'm trying to figure it out myself. Feels like players are still trying to adapt to their identity as well and what their role is on this team. I mean, you guys hit on it earlier with Karis Levert. I'm just kind of baffled a little bit by what this team's identity is. And is that a problem, not really knowing the identity of your own team? To an extent. I mean, that was a big issue last year. Uh, That was a a topic of discussion throughout training camp of how they they had to create and establish an identity. I don't think they've gotten there just yet. Both the primary factor being guys so many in and out of the lineup. And you hate to to jinx them or anything, but knock on wood, they're the healthiest, generally speaking, that they've been in over a year. I go back to the even before the start of training camp last year. And where this this team was struggling entering December, remember we didn't know what the status was of Vic, and of course he's not going to play in back to backs, and and then Goga missed much of training camp and others. Well, right now, yes, Karras and Duarte clearly are not a hundred percent and not feeling great. But right now, the only guy really on the injury report that is going to miss time is T.J. Warren. So that that for one is a big win and something they need to, to continue. Secondly, they got to figure out. Uh, it's the ongoing topic, but. 
how how much are you going to stay at it with the with the couple bigs, right? And, and st- staying with them versus having more shooting and and being productive more from the outside. And I think Duarte not shooting at the rate he was to start the season that takes a big hit because he was good for what seemed like three or four threes per game. Uh, Justin Holiday's kind of made up the difference now and shot very well here in in recent games and hit really some really big shots when they've needed it. Um, so that hasn't gone without notice, but. I still feel like they're finding um, an identity in terms of who they can depend on. I still believe they're without true leadership on the team. Uh, a lot, a bunch of guys that can lead by their demeanor, their actions. But for instance, in that Charlotte game, did we see any player say, "Hey, Rick, I got this," and just rip into guys, things like that? Uh, even if it was behind closed doors, you just don't see a lot of that. And I think it's a bunch of really good guys, good talented guys, but there's no superstar. There's no obvious leader or two on this roster and so those are a couple of the things that that are shaking out and that they have to get corrected and it'll probably have to wait until next offseason you know alex and i have been we've been proclaiming not just proclaiming but just like really just being loud that we we need some some more toughness on this team that when times like that happen that there is someone that can be like you know what no i'm, I'm gonna make a play right now and change that and i, I feel like we don't really have that but i feel like a lot of fans when they look back at maybe season-defining moments, um, the, the starters being benched against Charlotte for the fourth quarter, do you think that's going to be a moment that really woke this team up? Or is that just something that maybe lasts for maybe a couple of days, a week, and then it's it's kind of forgotten? Oh, I think it did did wonders, and I am a so proponent. Mm-hmm. I am a proponent of that. Um, I tweeted out about it while it was going on. I was actually on a plane as this is going on, listening. And when I saw that, I go or heard about it, I was like, oh, yes, finally. That was something that Nate Bjorken refused to do. He refused to, to take out the key guys or to prove a point. And maybe it's, and quite frankly, it's, it's the, uh, the history. I mean, you got one guy, a Hall of Fame coach, and the other guy just trying to get started. But still, if you don't hold those guys accountable, who are you going to hold accountable? And so I like the fact that he said, hey, just like the Bulls the other, last, the other night, they didn't have it. Well, we saw Rick turn to the bench and stay with the guys who made a difference and even allow for them to finish the game. And so even if you lose that game, I think it's a, a win in the short term, perhaps the long term. And so, yeah, you don't know if it's going to make a difference in the long term, but I, I think it sets the tone of what Rick's going to be about as the leader uh, of this franchise now and the things that he is not going to tolerate. All right. So the question that we keep getting every single podcast is, do you think, or every single mailbag podcast that we do is, do you think okay. that the Turbonus duo will, will make it past the deadline? Um, I'm curious your thoughts on that. It's really just hard to know with without knowing the buyers out there, right? Yeah. Charlotte would be an obvious choice for Miles Turner, for example. Boston was for quite a while. Um, the teams that could really use a, a defensive-minded center and a guy that can shoot threes. So if those teams are interested and stay interested, if you're Kevin Pritchard, you have to shake up this roster. We've seen enough of it, but it all comes down to what offers because you're not just tossing out a guy for the sake of making change. Um, But you do enter a critical point here where you do have Jeremy Lamb in a contract year, TJ Warren in a contract year. Uh, Turner, I think, will have two more years after this. And it's clear that Sabonis is your guy, although there, there is that legitimate thought, right, to saying... Do you get rid of Sabonis while you can maximize his value right now? Um, the, the thing is, I think Turner more easily translates and fits in with other teams. Whereas, like we've talked about, Domas is kind of the, the center point, the engine, the hub, whatever you want to refer to him as, for a team in their offense. And so that, that's a little bit more of a shakeup if you went to another team. But I think it's if it, if it was me, I'd love to see a true point guard in here, and you got to get that got to add some more shooters on this roster as well, because that's been an issue for probably a decade here. You cannot have enough shooters and they lack that right now. You know, talking about bigs and shooting uh, three years into his career, very inconsistent minutes. We've seen Goga has what it takes to be a really good shot blocker in this league. I feel like he does that pretty consistently, but are we sure he can develop as a three point shooter? Because Scott, I'm going to throw out the numbers, a career, 32 for 144 from three. It's 22%. Are, are we sure Goga can be a three-point shooter? Ab- absolutely. I think he can. The biggest thing that I see with Goga is he, need, he needs consistent minutes, and he needs 
he needs decent minutes. Like last night, I'm looking, played seven seven minutes. It's it's the garbage time. He threw up five shots, missed he them all. He gets them up quick. He yeah, he didn't look sharp, but I've had this conversation with us many times. He's like, look, especially being a big, I need four or five minutes to kind of get going and, and get in the flow of things. And think about it. That was at the end of the game. So long past game, pregame warm-ups, long past you know, an hour after halftime warm-ups. He's coming up really cold in the middle of a or in the late of a late in a game and he's playing just spot minutes. And so for him, his maturity uh, is much better. He understands his role. He understands where he can help the team. And I think we've actually seen in uh, several games this month, him and Domas playing very well together as Rick has kind of uh, sub- substituted one big out real quickly um, and even played, I want to say, about five to seven minutes of Domas and Goga, and, and both have really liked that experience. But I, I think if you really want to go in with this, you got to give Goga – something like 15 minutes per game um, and, uh, and, know, and, uh, and allow for him to know that it's coming consistently because without it, yeah, he's, he looks kind of lost. He doesn't look comfortable out there. And, and because of it, he's trying to force things up because he's trying to force that production. Yeah, I, I was a little bit baffled by the Goga Sabonis minutes that when, when we first saw him, but they've, had, they've been productive to, to some degree. I felt like it was a little bit too much in that Knicks game in the on the on the road when they played together in the second half a little bit when the Knicks shut the Pacers down to just 10 points in that fourth quarter. I felt like that group might have stayed out there a little bit too long. But you know, Goga is a guy that I think we've seen enough this season already that if he was to become that backup center, you'd feel okay with it. But I guess just looking at the rest of the Eastern Conference and this upcoming home stretch here for the Pacers, they've got a lot of tough opponents in this in this schedule here, even though they're at home. Yeah. Do you see this Pacers team getting into the playoff mix here with maybe a, a fifth or sixth seed, or do you see them more as a, a team that's going to constantly be battling for that 7-10 to 10 range and probably be a play-in tournament type of team? Yeah, Alex, I think from what we've seen so far, it's it's more likely that it's that back end of the play-in, right, and not the sixth seed. I mean, I can't – you look at the seven and eight spots right now, Bucks, 76ers, followed by Knicks. I don't think you can reasonably say the Pacers are better than them. And by the way, Atlanta and Toronto are right above the Pacers right now. Um, and so it's going to be tough. I don't. I, going into the season, I kind of thought the 6-7 spot was realistic if they did have their health and were able to click. Um, but they, for a number of reasons, things have not been comforting. And while they do return home, you're right. I mean, I'm looking down at this brutal schedule. Lakers, Toronto, Milwaukee. Atlanta, Miami, Washington, who's been the surprise team, at least for me. New York, Dallas, Golden State. Where's the easy game there? Probably the only one is at Minnesota. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be easy at all, but here's um, the thing. I mean, when you look at how the Pacers started out, one and six, they responded by going seven and five over their last 12. And outside of that Hornets game, they've had fourth quarter leads against Portland, Denver, the Knicks, the Pistons, but they couldn't really close it out. Do you see this team always kind of going with a closer by committee or is someone going to rise up and take that big shot consistently at end of games? Yeah, I think if they were healthy, to me, that's Karis LeVert. That's the guy you go to. And even if he's not that guy yet, you believe in him, you, you instill that confidence in him and saying, hey, we're going to lose, lose or win with the ball in his hands. Um, I'd probably run the 2-5 pick and roll with him and Domas, create something out of it. Maybe it ends up in the corner with Justin Holiday for a three, but those two guys, Karis and Domas, are the two guys I'd be betting on. That said, Malcolm is a, a solid alternative as well. He's been really solid in the pick and roll and had success there. But I, I think considering all the factors and the lack of a, a true dominant player, I think it is by committee, whoever has the hot hand, but I, I would lean more heavily on Karis if it was me. All right, well, I'm going to transition here just a little bit, look ahead to this game against the Lakers that we've got Wednesday night. Should be a pretty pretty good crowd, hopefully, at the Fieldhouse, knowing LeBron's going to be in town, and it's the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, so people don't have to work that day. Hopefully people are more apt to come out and watch the game. But obviously LeBron's not playing tonight in the Garden, got that suspension for his altercation with Isaiah Stewart in the Pistons game on Sunday. So, what are you looking forward to with this Pacers-Lakers game, and what do you think it's going to take for the Pacers to beat them? 
First thing I'm looking forward to is seeing Frank Vogel. It's always fun to have him back in town. And, and I was out in LA a couple of weeks ago and was able to have a nice little friendly chat with him. Drew Anthrop's his video coordinator. He's obviously from Indiana and a Purdue guy. So that's always fun. And I never take watching LeBron in person or on TV for granted because you never know whether it's next year or three years down the line that it's like, woo, his career's over. I hope he maximized it and enjoyed it, right? And so I've never been the, the basher of him or I'm tired of seeing him in the finals eight straight years. I enjoy it, appreciate it. And so I'm glad he's available and say not suspended for a couple of games and would miss, miss out on it. And actually, Pacers may be benefiting because depending on how he's feeling health-wise, obviously still not 100% and missed a lot of time um, earlier in the year. If he played, you, I can almost guarantee you if he was not suspended, he'd definitely playing in his one visit to New York, MSG, his favorite venue, he said. And if anything, you'd maybe see him sit out the, the game against the Pacers for that lo load management that we've become familiar with him in Indy, where I forget the exact numbers, but it's felt like he's done that you know, for the past five visits that has frustrated fans. So to see him, hopefully AD will be all right. I saw he was dealing with a little something in New York, but to see th those two guys and Frank and and really just an opportunity for the Pacers to, if anything, be shown against a top team and uh, be challenged here. And so then you, and then you have old Nate Bjorkren coming back Friday. And you're right, with these being kind of the holiday games, that's the one good thing about the Pacers' schedules. You can, can kind of predict and expect these games, like the, uh, the Bulls' home game on New Year's Eve. Those are the ones, if you don't have a crowd there, I don't know what to tell you because that's where they've really... Um, they have struggled with their home attendance, but that's also been a league-wide issue, and that's probably a whole separate conversation. But I would expect for both of those games to be well-attended and, and to be rowdy atmospheres for a lot of people coming home and, and seeing the Pacers, perhaps, and the Fieldhouse renovations for the first time in a couple of years. You know, there's no easy games on the schedule. I mean, it, it's been mentioned the Pacers are playing the last three NBA champions in a row, so it's going to be tough. Do you think this Pacers team has – a problem with maybe not getting up for every game because it seems like the wins that they've had over Miami, over Utah, you know, and then even just the other night against Chicago, maybe games that we haven't expected to win. But then there's obviously that game against Detroit. And no one can get out of their mind. So do you think they need to do a better job not overlooking maybe inferior opponents? There, I think there might be something to that. I don't, I'm not sure if it's even overlooking them. It's just playing to the level of their competition, right? Because we saw what they did to, what, felt like a couple weeks ago with Utah, with Philadelphia, even with Denver until late in the game. They played pretty well, better than the competition, and won most of those games. But a lot of it, in fairness, I think the last week was the way in which they were playing, where slowing it down, their pace was just atrocious. As Rick has noted, they were the worst in the league in terms of grabbing a rebound and heading to the other end and pace. And that's not going to be successful for any team out there. So I thought they got away from themselves and not necessarily their identity, but what they need to play. Um, and then with these games, that's a good point. Yeah, the next, the last three <laughs> title contenders. Um, if you can't get up for those, what are you doing? But also, I, I do laugh at the fact when when people, players need motivation, like, isn't money enough? Isn't doing what you love enough or playing in front of your family enough? Um, I, I do understand maybe a little bit in January, February, where they're kind of the, the dog days of the year, but right now still kind of the exciting portion of their schedule. Um, if anything though, I wish they'd have more practice and that goes for all the teams because they haven't really been able to add or implement new things. So I feel like they're kind of all trudging along until they can sneak in a practice day here or there because Days off and practice days are far in between right now. Yeah, no, you're you're totally right. You shouldn't have to. Uh, it's frustrating to see a team not show up. You yeah. feel like they should be able to do that every single night for the most part, um, especially at least, you know, if one guy doesn't have it, I get it. But like the whole team, it's just kind of like, come on now. And uh, I, I said this on one of the last podcasts. I just said this team's not good enough right now to be able to take nights off against Detroit, against Denver without three starters. you got to win those games, especially if you're trying to climb out of the hole that you've got yourself into with injuries and tough part of the schedule and just being under 500. So my last question for here, Scott, as we uh, wrap this conversation up, does this team get above 500 anytime this season? Uh, pro yeah. Yeah. And I think, I, so. think so. I think they finished with a winning record for sure. Whether it's 
on this homestand, it's going to be awfully tough, but this would be a, a great time to do it. They're three games under as we record this with nine of their next 10 at home. I mean, that's a very good opportunity. Uh, they'll probably, I haven't looked at the other team's schedules, but they'll probably benefit from the, the other team being on a back-to-back coming up potentially. And that, those are the games you have to win. And I, I agree with your last point. Um, a game like Detroit or Charlotte, who's playing terribly right now and selfish and turning the ball over. I look at those games and those are the ones that you do look back in March and are like, oh my goodness, if we had three more wins, we're not even talking about the playing game. We're fifth or sixth and, and maybe could rest starters. I don't know. That's a hypothetical conversation, but those are the thoughts you do have months down the road when uh, they could come back to bother you. And, and you hate for something to happen like in 2014, where of course the year Paul George was out most of the year, where they have to win the final game or they miss the playoffs. Well, they lost the game and miss the playoffs. And not only does this team need to get in the playoffs, but we need to see them win um, in advance because that dry spell has been haunting for this franchise. It really has. I mean, it's just become the, the almost like the fun thing for casual NBA fans to say is Indiana's just happy just making the playoffs, and we want to shake that image. But for my last, uh, my last question, you know, the Pacers started defensively just horrendous to start the year. I mean, they were giving up over 119 points per game the first five games of the season. However, now, ever since, you know, the start of the season, whatever it is, the Pacers are now up to 12th in defensive points per game led up at 105.3. After last year, they were 25th. They've now held four of their last five opponents under 500. Do you see this team getting back to the defensive roots that they preached all offseason? Or is this maybe, you know, just kind of a, a small sample size right here of what we're seeing? Yeah, Michael, I don't see it them getting back anytime soon. I think it's going to take at least a couple of months. The, what, the two things we can reference in, in those things, talking about, say, the first five or the last five, those first five games were all out of whack now. Now that we can look back at it, across the league, s- scoring was through the roof, right? It really was. 120, 130 points per game, then things leveled out. And now, it's, now, I, I've, now it's, we're basically seeing where Pacer games are being played 103 to 98 which feels much more like the Pacers and Bulls of 2008 and 2010 and certainly not the new age. I uh, feel bad for anybody that's playing over under because I'm not sure which side you take on what night, um, but probably the under at this point because it seems that things are leveling off and Pacers are gaining ground on that end. And I think that is in due part to a little, more, a little bit more continuity and understanding of what Lloyd Pierce is wanting on the defensive end. You're also getting guys healthy, and you're figuring out your rotation and what Torrey Craig's doing. And I'd actually like to see him more get, get more opportunities uh, than he's presently getting. Um, and I know I acknowledge Jeremy Lamb has been awful defensively, but I think you bring him in and give him more of a chance because what the numbers show us is offensively he's been productive. And so I think he's averaging over one point per possession. Well, if you're doing that, I think you can live with some points allowed on the defensive end. So there's little tweaks here and there that I'm curious if we'll see and, and that I'm trying to discover on my own. And those are the, even those side conversations I'd like to have here, some with the coaching staff and understand kind of their vision for where they are right now in the minute allotment and things like that. And uh, TJ McConnell is a perfect example. There is a threshold in which he is outstanding and thrives. But as much as you like what TJ produces, I think if he's pushing 30 minutes, that deteriorates a little bit and the turnovers then become a little higher. He turns it over 23% of the time in transition. Um, So those are the little things you want to correct a little bit. So this team has made some strides over this last week, certainly some positives, but I don't think you can make any grand conclusions, both defensively, Michael, like you asked about, or uh, just the team's tenor, but they're definitely heading in the right direction and the guys are having a lot more fun. Just look at their demeanor out there, and you can tell this is the way in which they want to play. Yeah, no doubt about it. So, Scott, I want to thank you so much for coming on. It's always a pleasure talking to you, and we so we want to try to get you on once a month, but I know you've got your own podcast. You've been doing some radio appearances, so don't want to overwhelm you, but do want to thank you for coming on once again. And uh, can you tell us where people can find you at on social media across all platforms? Alex, I'm really dis- disappointed we didn't have an MVP or Defensive Player of the Year discussion. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> Subtle joke right there. I, I, I make fun of those so early in the year. But I, I appreciate the banter with you, no, nonetheless. Um, yeah, dude, FieldhouseFiles.com, Fieldhouse Files Podcast, and uh, Scott Agnes on uh, social media platforms. Good stuff, guys.
And we appreciate you, Scott. You're always welcome. And keep up the great work. (laughs) Appreciate you. Yeah, Chris Duarte, still running for six men of the year, Miles Turner, defensive player of the year. I mean, we've got a lot, Scott, that we've got already checked out. So uh, Jonathan Taylor. Don't forget about Jonathan Taylor here. He's coming for MVP. I read where he's on the MVP bandwagon, or you're on the MVP bandwagon, Alex. Oh, I'm totally on the bandwagon, especially (laughs) if it's going to make Titans fans upset. But but anyway. it's uh he's a fun player but anyway thank you again scott and uh we will uh talk to you i'm sure we'll talk to you soon this is the story of the one as a maintenance engineer he hears things differently to the untrained ear everything on his shop floor might sound fine but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping so he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand and he knows granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done which is music to his ears Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right. I want to thank Scott Agnes once again for coming on the show. Always enjoy Scott's insight as he is doing a great job covering this team for the Fieldhouse Files and over at fieldhousefiles.com. But Fachi, overall, I mean, this Pacers team, it just feels good to see them playing a little bit better basketball. And I'm not sure what it was exactly. You know, we're, we've had conversations about what could have been the thing that ignited this team to start playing better, but I'm just glad to see it. Absolutely. I mean, it's been tough, whether it's the injuries. I mean, also the Pacers have basically, they played 12 games on the road so far to, uh, to, I believe it was their first uh, seven at home. So, I mean, that's a big ratio. I believe that's the largest disparity in the NBA. So we got a large home stretch coming up that I'm looking forward to where I feel like this is the time that the Pacers can rack up some wins here. Now the opponents, eh, they don't get much easier, but at at the same point, Hey, you got to find a way to trend in the right direction. And this team is trending in the right direction. Yeah. Fashi. So just real quick, those opponents, the Pacers put out a tweet today saying we play the last three champions (laughs) in the next three games. So they got the Lakers, the Raptors and the Bucks. Then they go back on the road to play the Timberwolves to close out the month of November. And then December, look at this schedule. Hawks, Heat, Wizards, Knicks, Mavericks, Warriors, all at home, all against really good teams and all teams that are above 500 or 500. Then they go on the road to play the Bucks, come back home to play the Pistons. Then they go back on the road to play the Heat. Then they come home and finally catch a break against the Rockets, who are currently 1-16. Then they're back on the road again for the Bulls, back home for the Hornets, and then back uh, home again for the Bulls. So really, I mean, a good opportunity here to make some ground in this Eastern Conference if they can get some wins together. Not saying that they won't, but it's going to be a tough schedule. There's some easier games in there on paper, but right now, I mean, this is a a tough, brutal schedule once again for the Pacers early on in the season. It really is. I mean, look, you're trying. We got it's all about trying to find that light at the end of the tunnel, and, and I'm just finding that light in that the home stretch coming up is going to be big. Um, the Pacers they've struggled on the road, significantly better at home. Uh, so I, I just feel like at this point, I mean, they're five and two at home. You know, you got to be able to get up for each and every game, and we've seen the Pacers get up for games against stronger opponents so hey if the schedule is going to be tough then i'm just going to spin it in the way of well then the boys better be ready to play because clearly when teams like detroit come through you know they're uh they're not as amped up so yeah no no easy um you know times to be able to take a break on this schedule absolutely fachi so i think that wraps up our show for today fachi you will not be on tomorrow's show because you'll be out of town so i just want to say Happy Thanksgiving to you and Babe, and I hope you guys have a terrific time with your family and friends, and you guys have safe travels wherever you're heading. Thank you. Making the trek back to New York. Got about a six to seven hour car ride ahead of me, but wanted to make sure that I was able to talk Pacer basketball one last time this week. (laughs) Absolutely. So, Fachi, where can the people find us at on social media? So you can find us on Twitter at SettingThePace3. You can find Alex on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA. You can find me on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. You can find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk. You can find us on Facebook at Setting the Pace. And you can find us on TikTok at Setting the Pace. And if you're hoping that the Indiana Pacers take down Anthony Davis, Russell Westbrook, Dwight Howard, and of course LeBron James and Fachi's Carmelo Anthony tomorrow against the Lakers, say these three words. Let's go Pacers!
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.